Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day there and welcome to The Gong Show. My name's Steph Postuma. Today is another episode from my community radio show, Food for Thought. I'm joined by Simon Evans on this one, and we've got Adrian Baeda in the studio from My Square Meter. Adrian lives in the Illawarra and works all up and down the South Coast and around the country. Through My Square Meter, Adrian sets up sustainable urban gardens for things like restaurants, for shopping complexes, for new developments. He runs the kitchen garden for Cupid's Winery down in Milton. Libby we had on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. All sorts of different people. He also teaches workshops and educates the public about sustainable agriculture. We really enjoyed our chat with him and we hope that you do too. So let's get into it. All right, we are back in the studio. It's Food for Thought, and my name's Steph Postuma. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, oh, it's about quarter past eight, and I have some guests in the studio. Um, first and foremost, we have Adrian Bayeda here from My Square Meter. Thank you so much for coming in the studio. Hello, thanks for having me. And we've also got Simon Evans, who's a bit of a blow-in, I'd say, for this episode, just to talk Blow food in, with us. <laughs> Simon from Caveau Restaurant uh, in Wollongong. Thanks for coming in, mate. No worries. Cool. All right. Well, Adrian, we're here to talk to you, um, and we're going to be asking you <laughs> questions. You can ask us some questions oh, as well. Chime in. <laughs> um, yeah, Simon, feel free to just jump in and ask Adrian any questions <laughs> that you want. But look, let's start off with the easy thing. Why don't you mm-hmm. tell the listeners out there um, who aren't familiar with what my square meter is? Tell us what it is. Um, it's basically me. Mm-hmm. It's you. <laughs> okay. It's me, and, if, and I've got a few other people that. Uh, uh, starting to work for me now as well but essentially it's I, I started it uh, many moons ago as basically um, a way for me to break away from what I was doing um, I suppose that I was working in um, different local governments doing environmental sustainability and a lot of environmental education and policy and food waste and all kinds of stuff but, um, yeah, I kind of wanted to move away from that into something a bit more, uh, something with a bit more pace. Okay. A little bit more, um, something that you could see results a lot quicker. And, um, yeah, food became quite obvious to me to kind of pursue in form of kind of tackling sustainability as, as a thing for me to keep my hands in sustainability, but also as an interesting and... My family um, had a background in market gardening in Western Sydney um, a long time ago and I'd always kind of wanted to grow my own food for my own health and just, yeah, Mm. gardening's fun and it's great. And so I just kind of turned it into a business. And and, how, and what is it then? How does it work? How does so my how does it work? And what it, it's it's kind of hard to kind of say exactly <laughs> what it is because um, I guess with um, when I first started it, it, there wasn't really a lot of work for, um, I guess, sustainable food growing or farm to plate stuff, which is what um, the business has evolved into. Yep. Um, so I kind of was doing a lot of workshop stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like compost workshops, worm farms, waste recycling, and just like the home scale kind of 
grow your own kind of ethos and mantra kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was also doing just some residential gardens and getting people set up in that sense. And then it just kind of evolved into working with community gardens, setting them up or facilitating workshops again. Um, I've done, I do a lot of education in schools and I, for a long time I, I kind of was setting up gardens and setting up workshop programs in daycare centres all the way through to high schools and um, and for TAFE. And then all that was kind of running in the background while I was kind of getting into some of the bigger stuff. Um, and more recently, I suppose, in the last three, four years, setting up some city farms. And um, and as you know, uh, you had Libby Cupid in your, for your podcast, mm. Quicksand, quick plug yeah, yeah. for you, mate. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I started to work with the Cupids down um, in Milton and um, help kind of take their kitchen garden and formalise it a little bit. And uh, it's been growing, pardon that stupid organic pun, but it's <laughs> been... <laughs> Each each season we um, we open up another paddock and grow more food and um, a big part of that though was also um, the cupids were I guess interested in my sustainability background and that was also training staff and chefs in um, yeah even just what is food sustainability how the hell do you recycle all the food waste from a kitchen and then how do you also do that from a brewery and a fromagerie and um and i'd been doing that kind of stuff for cafes and and the like in sydney so Mm. my square meter is a few things but there's a lot of things there's a lot of things and i'm kind of moving it further into getting into some bigger spaces cool and but the the under underlying message with all of it and all the work that i've been doing um is is centred in sustainability. And education, essentially, like through what you're doing, providing a platform yep. for people to be educated about yeah, about growing food and about seasonality and about exactly. all that sort of thing. Exactly. And I, I figured um, the best way to have a conversation with people um, about big environmental issues like climate change and water shortages and oil and all these kinds of things is... Um, the best way was through food because um, I guess I got to a point where you could see or I could see that food is linked to every environmental issue that was I had kind of been working on in the kind of government sector. So, um, yeah, and it's a lot easier to, um, I guess, have people open up to the idea, these bigger kind of environmental issues when you actually start with Especially something that's day to day, everyone eats every day. Yeah, exactly. You know, even if you're a self-proclaimed foodie or whatever, you're mm. still involved in food in some some manner. Even if it's just sustenance, just feeding you. So that's like that's why people have a lot of strong opinions, but also are quite open to learning things about food. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and it's um, and you'll probably experience in your own restaurant is you know food is what can be really fun and people get really excited Mm, about it and people love talking about food and we're here and you've got a podcast and people always love to tell you about the things that they've grown or tried to grow or the stupid bloody pest that's eaten it (laughs) but that's a little bit of a kind of um a gateway then to have a conversation as to maybe you grow things in a I grow things in a different way to that person and then they're like well why is it working for you and what are you doing and I'm like well yeah you well you don't need to buy xyz product that comes in plastic on a shelf you can just go pick that and use that and put that in your garden and you can all the nutrients that you need to grow really healthy healthy broccoli or cabbages go through your kitchen every damn day and you you put it in the bin you might want to try putting it through a worm farm and just use your worm castings and worm weed to to feed feed your your garden and then that in turn you know it feeds feeds you so it seems like a long-winded way to get um i guess to a a hardcore point of um uh, an environmental issue but um people's habits and ideas on 
on how we do things is, you know, they're well cemented and, um, yeah, so. Yeah. I think one of the, like, like one of the cool things about it as well is that in the, the capacity in which you work, like when it comes to working with schools or working with organisations who are looking to have, you know, gardens set up for them, whether it be a restaurant or a, a development or whatever it might mm-hmm. be, these are people who have taken the step in, yes, we are interested in this and we want to we want to learn about it, but we don't really know where to start and that's kind of where you come in. So... They're, they're interested in they might be interested in the garden side of things and like just kind of on a very you know maybe like initially on a on a relatively sort of superficial level have this idea of a new development with this green sort of veggie patch there yeah. and just people growing veggies however once you're there and building things and 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 going well a compost <clears throat> just makes sense and this is how seasonality works the, the same, there's probably no like it's like a captive audience you're not going to avoid that conversation because it comes into every practice that's yeah, involved in that it becomes a natural conversation I have to preface that I don't yeah, <laughs> go to people's houses and go they're like can set me up here and I'm like okay well now that I've got you yeah, what yeah, the yeah. hell are you doing with all this plastic like I'm not like that at all I don't <laughs> yeah that's the worst Kind of well, I'm not dogmatic about anything. It's it's more that if people want to have a conversation about it, then I would talk about it. Um, I don't push my opinions or anything like that on people. And it's yeah, like you said, it's already kind of a semi captive audience, and they might go, well, what can I do with this? And I said, and you can kind of yeah, even like like a restaurant might start of of it would be cool to tell our customers that we grow some things, and yeah. that might be the original original thought about it. But then I think. Once you do learn about sustainability and how things are grown and how there's better ways, obviously then you can suggest the best ways to do it. Because I imagine a lot of your clients go in with very little idea about what you can or what, what is what, what you can do and what, what is available to do in that sense. Yeah, and I, well, there's and I work with people who who um, have very little experience, and um, there was particularly with um, with TAFE and an outreach program that. Um, I was working on in the city and there were people who had no experience at all, didn't like gardening, but then the other spectrum is that there's also a lot of people who already know so much stuff, mm. yet they still come to workshops or want to engage with you and it's it's more, um, there's so much um, noise out there as to what you should do, what you shouldn't do and there's just a whole heap of rubbish out there that stops people from taking a step to mm. just um, put something in the ground and mm. have a go. And it's, um, yeah, it's one of the things I tell people, which is what my grandma told me. Is she just, <clears throat> if you don't know what something is or how to do something, just put it in the bloody ground and see what happens. <laughs> and more often than not, if you water it, um, <laughs> it's going to it's going to grow. So. That's it's that's very much my approach to my veggie garden is <laughs> yeah. is put stuff in the ground and water it <laughs> and have a look at it and and kind of if something's not happening then yeah figure it out like yeah. and then ask somebody and problem solve so um yeah it's kind of it's it's a mixed bag of people and um yeah and I guess it's it's I like having conversations with people and meeting people and and just saying don't listen to anything just do what you kind of instinctively might already know or just have a go mm. and and then see what happens mm. like don't get wrapped up in the the rules of organics or the rules of uh any of the nature-based food growing kind of ideas because that stops people from taking action and yeah. we don't want that yeah you just want to get started and figure, yeah. figure the rest out from there so how do i compost well it's it's a black box mm. and <laughs> just chuck <laughs> organic waste in there and mix it around and if it smells bad then mix it again yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's not going to explode yeah <laughs> um so yeah um so like you were saying before that when you began my square meter you started in sort of like workshop workshop territory um smaller scale did you envisage uh marketplace for these larger types of projects when you first started in terms of setting up gardens for businesses mm-hmm. or developments um, 
you know, urban farming, edible spaces mm-hmm. and those sorts of, you know, things that we talk about now or that you hear um, about? Yeah, I was, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure if it was going <coughs> to happen in um, Australia so much, but I knew of, you know, just from doing the courses that I've done and, and, and from uni, I knew of what was happening overseas in terms of um, more urban-based food growing systems and people experimenting with that kind of stuff. Um, and I could see how Australia was different in a lot of ways and what was kind of holding us back from um, setting up more of these kind of systems, mm. which essentially is just, I mean, yeah, someone's backyard. Yeah, so can you just or, tell... Like, I mean, you hear urban, the, the terms urban farming used and it, yeah. it can probably be pretty broad in what that means. Do you want to tell us just a bit about what that means? And we'll talk a bit about what urban farming actually is and some of, you know, the potential outcomes of, you know, an increased usage of urban farming, in air quotes, sort of thing. Yeah, I guess it's a pretty loose term, isn't it? It's like, well, if you've got a balcony and you are growing 10 radishes in a pot, are you an urban farmer? I guess guess you are. Um, Small scale. (laughs) Yeah, it's small scale. It's boutique. But I guess... um, the the places that um, I've kind of worked worked at and spaces we've set up bigger spaces I guess it's I'd classify it if I needed to as as a space that was adopting agricultural techniques um, hopefully the the cutting edge of nature based food growing techniques to to grow food in an urban environment and yeah and mm. what are what are the, the sort of smallest to largest inner city things you've set up the smallest to the largest the smallest would be yes a, a balcony with yeah. a pot of 10 right <laughs> uh, my own space in the city and when i was living there and mm. and people's balconies and courtyards yeah. all the people don't, don't realize that you can grow a little bit of food even if you just have a balcony oh that's a lot of people young people in molongong sitting <clears> in apartments and it might be a tiny little space like you know, a couple of meters squared maybe yeah um, and you can still grow, you can grow herbs, you can grow you know, some little yes. fruit veg, yeah. spring onions, anything you want. Mm. I guess it, it just depends what you want to eat and that's what I tell mm. people. So from that kind of scale to um, some bigger kind of community gardens where there was like, you know, some bigger plots mm. to the biggest one in the city that I've done was I helped work with um, the Camperdown Commons in Camperdown, which yeah. is, yeah, multi-purpose space with... Um, a restaurant there, Acre Restaurant, and then the bowling greens at the front. So it was two, two bowling greens. Uh, how big is that now? I guess it's kind of shrunk a little a bit. Green. It's the average bowling green size. Yeah, it's kind of maybe not a quarter of an acre, but yeah, that I guess it was. Yeah, a decent size. It's a decent size. So at the moment, that's that kind of space and now I'm working on a, a new space down in Melbourne with again with um, with Acre Eatery and this one's a little bit bigger mm. well actually it's a lot bigger and that, this one's going to be a rooftop farm on top of a new shopping centre in um, in Burwood in Melbourne so this one's going to be I guess the farm itself is maybe 500 metres squared yeah cool on ground level, but mm. then we also have um, we're building a, a a big hydroponic system. So our, our overall aim um, is to have at least two thousand um, square meters of growing space, which would all go to yeah to the restaurant, the Acre Brickworks, yeah, well. and then any surplus um, we yeah can sell off to to the community or um, other restaurants down downstairs cool all right well we're going to go to a short break now and play a song um and some ads but uh i want to come back and we'll keep we'll keep talking a bit about how you work with restaurants and the sort of the realities of that and yeah the different rationale as to why people want kitchen gardens and 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 how that works for them all right uh we've got adrian Bayeda here in the studio and simon Cavo, and we're talking about my square meter urban farming and sustainable agriculture you're listening to food for thought it's 8 30 and we'll be back just after this. okay you're back on food for thought my name's steph postuma and i'm here with simon evans Cavo and adrian Bayeda here in the studio and we're talking about my square meter adrian's business uh that 
encompasses a lot. Uh, urban farming, sustainable agriculture, uh, sustainability agri- uh, education, a bunch of things. But what we were talking about before, Adrian, was your relationship with restaurants. Can mm-hmm. you, like we're interested in sort of the nitty gritty of how restaurants um, work with farmers like yourselves and, and mm-hmm. the practicalities of having a kitchen garden. How does that sort of relationship start? Like your your relationship with Acre, for example, yeah. Do they just sort of call you and say, "Look, we're 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 looking at getting a kitchen garden. We need some help." Is that it, or yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, they send out a dove with a parsley, a leaf. raven. Yeah, yeah. That's where I live, and I capture the, <laughs> the parsley leaf, and I get to it. So that their aim I, when they contact you was to grow as much of their own produce as possible, or is it more? Of so, a, so with with Acre and Camperdown, I was actually. Um, I was part of the uh, Pocket City Farm group, mm, yeah. that, and uh, Luke, who um, owns Acre, he um, was also part of that group, and so we we're both working. I don't know what that group is. Can you tell us what Pocket um, City Farm is? So they're uh, they're um, urban farmers. Okay. Yeah, occupying the um, the the Camperdown Commons right space, and so we were working with um, the um, RSL Club who had the lease on that land um and so it was a yeah it was a bit of a partnership with all the the three groups so it was a very unique scenario um for that space and um it was basically you know it, it's kind of council land but the club had the lease on it so but they wanted to reinvent the space to be something a little bit more modern and open to the community in another kind of new way um, and so, yeah, I was working with that group and alongside Luke and, um, yeah, once that, that kind of project was done and I, yeah, kind of moved on and I stayed connected with, um, yeah, Acre through the chefs and I was maintaining the, the other kind of peripheral gardens which were all set up to be kind of uh, an insectary but um, more to the point it was kind of... Um, for edible flowers and herbs that were going to be on hand for the chefs inside mm. the kitchen. And I did a bunch of workshops with their chefs just on food sustainability and food waste and trying to minimise, you know, food waste just from prep and that kind of conversation. Um, and, yeah, the, um, they're kind of, well, Acre pretty dedicated to food sustainability as a whole. And, um, yeah, they were kind of looking at that new space down in Melbourne and yeah they hit me up and was more than happy to to be involved in that one so yeah cool so that's how that kind of scenario and so was the sort of like goal for you for the restaurant we we just kind of want to grow what is you know what what's realistic for us to grow to provide our restaurant our restaurant with consistently like I, I I doubt spuds or something like that would be the first thing a restaurant wants to grow because they're cheap to buy yeah, and they yeah. take a lot of space up so how yeah. does that sort of work and well i guess and with the scenario with cupids and um i've i've set up like kitchen guard small kitchen gardens for mm. for messina and a few other cafes in the city and it, the conversation is always well what's your menu what are you doing with your menu where what kind of things would you like to kind of grow and i it's the exact same approach that I take with, you know, Stefan, working with you and figuring out what the hell you want to grow in your, like, balcony or backyard. What would you like to grow? What And out of that, what is kind of realistic for your space? Yeah, like you said, well, it might not be feasible to grow all of the potatoes, mm. which you're probably going to go through within a month anyway. What are kind of some, maybe some really expensive bits of produce that we can kind of start to grow like we're just having a conversation off air about yeah flowers and yeah things i think things with a quick turnaround time <coughs> when you are growing as well because you do like it, it's, it's still hard to supply your you know, your restaurant with with those little microbes those little flowers mm-hmm. um you just need quite a lot of dedicated time to it but at least there's a, there's a quick turnaround time exactly and, and the other things that are actually look quite expensive to buy mm. um just despite that and they're always wrapped in plastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, it will be like a bag inside a plastic container, which will be inside a bag again. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, and it, the, the conversation down with Cupid's as well, and I guess the way I got that gig was I basically went down to, yeah, have wine and cheese with my wife. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. We were sitting down there going, shit, this is pretty good down here, mm. isn't it? And I'd already been going down there a lot for surfing, and I just said, oh, well, they've got a little garden around the corner, and then literally we just kind of looked up, do they need anyone? And, yeah, called Tom, Cupid, and... Yeah, they had seen some of the stuff I'd done in Sydney mm. and we talked about sustainability and what we could do and the exact same thing was this is your... We looked at the whole space and looked at the restaurant and what was on offer at the restaurant and what was on the menu and went basically went through and just set goals. Like, this is our space for the time being. This is what we can invest mm. in setting up and we'll focus on um, edible flowers and um, nice... Um, garnishes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say pretentious garnishes. <laughs> but, they are pretentious. <laughs> but they, they can be. But um, if for us in the way of design gardens anyway, mm. I was going to use those plants anyway to build a healthy, um, holistic garden. So yeah. yarrow is a really powerful medicinal herb if you mm. want to have it as a tea. It does amazing things for you. But in terms of what it does for boosting the nutrient and mineral content of compost and your soils and you put that back in the ground um it's amazing so it just turned out that oh a new food trend at the moment is putting yarrow as (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) as like a garnish it's a beautiful little um because it's it's quite a sort of fashionable thing for restaurants to to do and to just claim that they they, they grow their own stuff or they mm-hmm. have a little kitchen garden. Um, yeah. The amount that probably do it in a, in, a, in a sustainable or even economical manner would, would be very few, I could imagine. Yeah. It's, it's really, man, it's really high. You've got to, like, you run a restaurant. Yeah, like, like we've got a couple uh, of boxes at the back which sometimes grow stuff. We rarely use them, but we also don't claim that we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we, they're there for kind of our, our entertainment more than anything else. Love the honesty. Yeah. But it's like... <laughs> You, you run a restaurant, you're not supposed to... You don't have time to run a bloody garden. And mm. I think, um, yeah, people can uh, very much... And I've come across it a lot. And even with community gardens and all kinds of spaces, and particularly schools, is you people really underestimate the amount of work that goes into keeping a kitchen garden, mm. let alone um, a market garden, let alone um, acreage. Mm. So you know you farmers talk about they're tied to the land well yeah they really are because you turn your back and you might have lost the whole crop just because the temperature changed and you got new pests yeah yeah, so um yeah i guess we started small and then just as things as the human system the kitchen and all the staff started to adapt and learn about what the garden was because as i was saying all kind of environmental issues and food issues are all about people and our habits and how we perceive things so um we set up the garden and that pe- we had chefs come out and mm. learn how to actually um harvest summer savory almost yeah, kicked cool. um russell chin he's probably i hope hopefully he's listening but <laughs> he's like six foot four almost kicked him up the ass <laughs> when, when i saw him um literally harvesting some summer savory which for people who don't know is a yeah little annual herb but it's a woody herb and he just cut it down the base and it had taken so long to grow <laughs> so yeah there's the the gardens that i build and the, the people that i work with um they know that it's it, they're investing a lot of time and they're investing in money and in mm. their staff and their space to to create good food and part of that is um sharing the experience and yeah. with everybody and teaching everybody um, what the hell goes into the garden so that you end up with, you know, better plates of food. Mm. Yeah. So, What would be a kind of um, a sort of realistic uh, I guess percentage or proportion of, of things you could grow mm. your own for a restaurant? Like, like obviously, 100, I think 100% is, would be borderline yeah. I- impossible. Um, it is, unless... But it's, you know, it's, it's 50%, it's 25%. Like, it's what, what's kind of is realistic to, to do and manage? Yeah. If you take... Well, I guess there's so many variables, obviously, but yeah, obviously, size, size how big's the, the, the space? Mm. Are you fine dining? Are you uh, cafe? Are yeah. you, w- what's the kind of turnover? Mm. What does the food look like? Mm. 
you I mean even with your kind of the food that you do there's a, there's a level of finesse there mm. so um when you have that level of creativity and finesse yeah. with food you the biggest thing I've had to learn as well is um it's all nice to have a certain kind of um a feel good garden out there and you're kind yeah, of yeah. oh look this is you know these are the 10 carrots that I've grown <laughs> and the chef's gone well one's as big as my little finger and the other one's <laughs> as big as your foot like yeah. what the hell are you doing I can't cook that yeah. for the menu that I have like because and I'm like well come on mate like well, you're kind of like well why not mm. if you have this kind of naive approach like well when I cook it it needs to cook evenly through the oven and if I don't do that well then yeah. people aren't going to get their food in time so I can understand that yeah certain spaces need consistency of of yeah, um, yeah. But I I in, in a nutshell, though, mm. if you take protein out of it, you know, a, a restaurant yeah, yeah. can easily grow um, their own herbs and at least a good proportion of their leafy greens yeah. as a start with nothing more than, you know, maybe a couple six metres by six metres, high yeah, intense right. kind of food, uh, food growing, mm. um, high turnover yeah. um, garden. But then that requires a certain level of, um, gardening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, how much, how much time do you have? And I guess that's been the biggest thing for me going through the different spaces is a lot of cafes did have that nice kind of um, outside garden, mm. courtyard area, um, and they're like, I really want to grow X, Y, Z, and I want to have the broccoli and the artichoke, and I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Um, do you realise how much time it's going to take me to do this? And you might not have the budget to employ somebody. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's a tricky game, but I think the more our food culture is changing in terms of, I guess, people are expecting certain norms now. It's becoming mm. normalised to have organic food on the menu and to know the name of the chicken that is on yeah. the plate kind yeah. of yeah. stuff yeah. <laughs> like once these kinds of things is, is, they're starting to normalise and the public art's starting to kind of yeah. look for that on the plate then um, restaurants and cafes mm. are, are, are trying to adapt to that yeah, I think there's almost it needs to be a, a reality shift back where and, and chefs obviously bought into it and, and gone for this this beautiful view of like yeah these were picked this morning and you know I've, I've been out there all day and obviously obviously these potatoes are from from the from the back garden from about my balcony it's got dirt and, on it look. yeah yeah exactly and, and it's obviously it's not realistic I think um, coming to a, a, a place of more realism and someone like yourself who can actually go to places who you know, might want to do these things and actually be like well we can't do that but we can do this yeah. and this is how we can do it I think that's really important and it's nothing wrong with saying that too and yeah, exactly. like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like I said we're gradually getting more and more produce um, as the system develops and we've you know I only do you know two days a week down there and we have Gav down there who At works Cupid's, yeah. with me yeah. and we're producing a lot of food on the same kind of hours um it's just how we go about doing things and what produce we focus on. So yeah. we are 100% growing the herbs and the greens and the flowers. Mm. Huge. It's like in a space like that, there's yeah, so yeah. many people that go through there. It's insane. Mm. This season, it, we've been supplying um, a lot of the potatoes. We're definitely going to be supplying all the pumpkins. We've had like a 1,000 kilos of pumpkins yeah, wow. grown. Um, but again, like um, it's, I guess, for chefs... Um, it, well, and this is kind of exciting for me. You kind of want to kind of differentiate your menu, right? Mm. So um, you do that with taste and you do that with different kinds of produce and um, that's, I guess, the benefit for... Um, uh, well, and the people that I work with, that's what they're kind of looking for as well as having a very um, strong fundamental understanding and and urge to work to a more sustainable business and they really you know um you don't yeah you wouldn't do it otherwise like it's mm. it costs a lot of money it's yeah. a big investment so um i'm quite lucky to to be working with i guess the the people that i get to work with do you do you think like is when it comes to cupids because it is a f like a, a larger property and you've mm. probably got that space 
Uh, is there is there like a sort of a five year plan or like a, a larger <coughs> plan to to get it to a certain point, or are you just sort of looking at just continuing the development and growth of it season by season or year by year sort of thing? It, it's kind of um, it's, and it's part of the reason why I love working down there. It's um, it's very it's loose in that term, <laughs> and there's so much stuff going on down there. Um, but we did develop a. Um, and I well, I did a, a, an overall master plan yep. and of the property and said, well, you know, this is the kitchen garden, but this paddock over here looks really good for um, high turnover, big produce for mm. broccolis, potatoes, etc. That might be there, and and maybe put chickens here, and you can do all this other stuff. And so that was that's been in the background, and yep. then I guess, um, yeah, as the the gardens grew and we're producing a lot more stuff and um yeah the, we just naturally ended up without a full plan to say yeah we're going to open that paddock it was kind of a spur of the moment it's like oh shit well you want to use that paddock i'm like oh okay well yeah you can get it going and get it ready for the next lot of produce for the menu so it's, <laughs> things happen in a very quick pace yeah. down there which is exciting and it but it it, it means um, yeah, working quickly to uh, ever-changing menu, yeah. and also making sure that what we do is actually um, good um, farming techniques yeah, and yeah. producing. I mean, the ben- the biggest benefit, and you know, is just eating fresh oh, yeah. produce. And th- this year, particularly, we're quite proud of our pumpkins. But I mean. How excited can you get about a button-up pumpkin? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> you can get pretty excited about it, especially if you drive yourself. Yeah. But, you know, the, the pumpkins at this this um, season, the way we've grown them, um, they're just coming out amazingly and you can you can yeah, tell I the different flavour. Like, the chefs are going, this is, these are really great. Yeah, you, so, can, you can tell the difference between good... People people <laughs> don't tend to think of like a pumpkin as being a quality pumpkin or a, a bad quality pumpkin. Mm. But like you can taste the difference. Like we we've had some like pumpkins come in even from from growers sometimes, and they've just had no flavour, no sugar content, and it's just not been good. Mm. And literally, kind of read like almost having that bad pumpkin experience really highlights the difference when you do get a pumpkin. You're like, oh, it's so sweet, and it tastes so much like pumpkin. It's got all this flavour to it, and it's not something that even a lot of chefs don't think about is the, is the difference in quality of their veg. Um, when when whereas meat and fish, you're always mm-hmm. taught how to check the quality of your fish and how to check the quality of your meat. You don't learn in TAFE how to check the quality of a potato. Mm. Like, it's just something we don't think about. But, but mm. when, the, when the, they can be so, so different, um, yeah. especially with fruits. Um, like, like, a couple of years ago, oh, we had fruit, local strawberries. And we were just like, for one, we just ate so many of ourselves. Um, and then we, we were just <laughs> giving them out to tables, just in little bowls. Just, we were just like, like, try these strawberries. Like, they're so, so good. Oh, my God. Like, we kind of wanted to just do a dish where it was just of all strawberries but we thought that might be a bit, a bit too pretentious <laughs> but it was so tasty we were like we'd, I think that the higher up the world's best 50 list yeah, or the could, best yeah, restaurant list the more pretentious it. you can, yeah, you yeah, can go you can like, yeah we could get away with it well there used to be um, it was so tasty it was like I would happily eat all of these Esther, Esther used to have a, a dish on their menu that Phil um, Phil Lavers from Moon Acres told me about called Phil's Plum oh, yeah. and it was five bucks and it was a plum on a plate <laughs> 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 just, it was just here yeah. it's, it's definitely borderline which is um, I like it. I kind of like yeah, that. Well, yeah. yeah, like it is like people are like what's Phil's plum, and then you get a plum in your ear. Like <laughs> actually, yeah, I, I kind of get it. Like if plum. it's that good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to. You got to. be something someone can taste and go. Oh wow, that is actually a really good yeah, plum. Yeah, well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Phil guy, what's he doing his plums? Yeah. Um, <laughs> quickly, as we're on the subject of the um, restaurants and stuff, and we'll we'll play a song in a second and, and get onto some other stuff after that, but. What do you what do you grow for Messina? They're uh, ice cream. Oh, so that was yeah. I set that up a while ago, and I haven't been there in quite some time. But it was just at their um, kind of headquarters lab. Oh, uh, okay, in, right, um, Rosebury. Right. So it was yeah. When I con- when I yeah spoke to the guys, it was it was a little bit weird. But um, yeah, they had just started um, their dessert restaurant yes because they've got that yeah right yeah and I, I was growing heaps of herbs for them just mm. stock like some stock standard stuff and then some kind of other kind of varieties and just you know lemon thyme and stuff like that and yeah they would take that out and harvest and they would do little experiments um yeah and then go we want that kind of set of 
flavors to work for a dessert. So it was kind of an experimental yeah, space. Cool. But um, we do heaps. Like I'm sure I'm surprised Libby didn't kind of mention it, but the, the cocktail menu down at Cupid's revolves around what's mm. in the garden as well. And so there's so many things you can do mm. um, just with, yeah, herbs and yeah, cocktails. It's probably a cool idea for like, and there might be some bars out there who, who do it, but because herbs are so prevalent in cocktails and you probably have to use them in a bit less of volume than in well, maybe a, a big... spoilage if you can just pick... <coughs> yeah. Like, you know, some things come in like kilo bags. That's the only way you can get them. So you've got to go through that kilo before it goes off. So if you can just pick what you want as you go, like that just mm. makes life so yeah. much easier. So much less and, but with cocktails and booze, you get... You can use a relatively small amount of uh, a high oil herb to get yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of flavour into a lot of I don't know, gin or vodka, mm. and then you can create so many salts from drying out herbs. And mm. so, in your to your question earlier, like a relatively small space for a cocktail yeah, bar yeah, drinks, could yeah. really help um, as a point of difference for cocktails. Mm. And, yeah, cool. All right. Well, we're going to go to a couple of songs and a few messages here. Uh, we're with Adrian Baeda and Simon Evans in the studio on Food for Thought, and we'll be back talking about My Square Meter just after. Uh, and before that was Marquise Hill with the song Eternal Spirit. We are in the studio talking to Adrian Baeda from My Square Meter. We've got Simon Evans from Kavo Restaurant in Wollongong here, and we're talking about urban farming and my square meter and what you guys do your relationships with uh restaurants and how that sort of plays out practically but i want to talk now about food sustainability and some of the issues that uh we are facing at the moment in terms of urban farming and what you do how much of what you do in terms of like contributing to a better food future how much of what you do with urban farming do you think has a direct environmental impact in terms of people growing produce and not going to the shops to buy it using less plastic you know getting involved in composting and all that sort of thing and how much of it do you think a benefit comes as a result of an education about food that they receive like do you think that there's do you think that people do you think that more benefit more benefit comes from just getting your hands dirty and 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 getting an understanding of food and 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 growing that connection or or do you think that the the main sort of target is the actual practical side of it and 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 the growing of things and the composting and, and that sort of tangible measurable type thing i think it's a bit of both right which one would you say how to like which one would you say like for you do you think like i I think that there's yeah there's definitely merit in in any sort of platform to provide education uh, as small and it could be depending on the size of your different projects and things like that but yeah yeah and it it depends on the space and what it's set up for but the spaces that yeah i try to work with and work in is yeah number one and it's why i got into what i'm doing is um is to have that different experience with food. And we are just talking about, you know, off air, how much produce in half, you know, a quarter of an acre actually can supply a restaurant of, you know, 200 to 300 seater restaurant with a crazy turnover of people. And yeah, it's, it's really hard. And there's only, a, you know, a small percentage of the produce, you know, that can get, get into that restaurant and you still have to rely on you know out you know other farms and other places but um i suppose that in itself i think is has a lot of benefits in terms of just recycling the food waste that comes out of that kitchen cupids we monitor well we intermittently monitor the um, food waste that comes out in terms of we weigh it and we put it through our worm farms composts through the chickens um and we calculate the co2 abatement from that and it's huge just from a a restaurant like one one space um so there's real tangible um kind of benefits in that Mm. sense and then i guess um in terms of the action of farming 
uh, it, that depends who's doing the farming. Like every organic farm you'll ever go to or biodynamic, well, maybe not so much biodynamic because they're a little bit stricter with what they do. Each farmer grows um, their own way and it represents their personality. So um, the way I like to do things is obviously try to... Um, be as sustainable as possible and that means in a farm context is building soil constantly and reducing um a basically we basically don't buy any external fertilizers we might buy some dolomite and some fish emulsion which we're even not even doing anymore we're kind of getting dead fish and processing it in a certain way so that we're using that in terms of the experience of people coming to these spaces i think that it's um, kind of it's hugely impactful especially if people um, get an opportunity to kind of grow something them, themselves and to also um, see how we grow things and I guess um, it's influencing people's ideas in terms of sustainable habits is such a, a hard thing but um it's always I always feel that it's better to yeah give a positive experience which you naturally do have in a garden surrounded by flowers and good food and yeah, I think that might be the most positive thing about about restaurants and chefs having access to even a small little <coughs> garden is probably not the amount of produce you can buy or maybe the money you can save but just being aware of, of, of how things are grow their, their cycles and and having that little bit of uh, extra thought even that yeah. extra little thought for the person who is growing most of your stuff and yeah. and all the stuff they have to go through when you can't keep your micro herbs alive yeah exactly and, like that that, and that's ex- extremely powerful thing to have all these thousands of people come through this space and go, oh yeah that's cool that's cute there's a little farm there and and but for you to then you're basically having a um, people in the city and urban spaces are actually seeing a farmer, you know, working the land and sweating and mm. maybe cursing and <laughs> <laughs> harvesting, and then they're having a conversation and they're seeing what it does take to actually, you know, grow food. Um, and particularly, I know when chefs experience. Um, food growing and they see what the hell goes into growing something mm. and how kind of you know we're rolling the dice with nature and there could be a storm mm. and everything gets wiped out on such a small scale you think about our farmers out there who have to deal with thousands of yeah. acres yeah. it's there starts to get a connection with what's where people's food's coming from and you know I, I think if people get to experience that and understand and I was that sustainability and food sustainability is a choice. Mm. You get to choose. Mm. We're very lucky in Australia. We get to choose fresh produce here or we get to choose produce wrapped in plastic over here. Mm. And once you experience food yeah. and, and uh, a space like an urban farm, it might start to make you think yeah, about pretty- making a choice and what you want to where you want to get your food from and you can go i just want to grow parsley in my balcony that's great and i've got organic parsley now in my my balcony then i always try to say to people well then how do you want to fill up the rest of your food basket it's okay that you can't grow potatoes on your balcony but you know the effort that it took to grow that parsley Mm. yeah so then that influences people's kind of ideas and especially the consumer realizing that you know someone spent a lot of time growing these these vegetables that you're you're paying not much money for in a supermarket um and understanding that you know, the amount of effort and, and toil mm. that went into that and understanding that you know you, if you want to you know help for a more sustainable kind of lifestyle you might have to spend a bit more money as well well which is, yeah, always the, the yeah. res- restaurateurs problem a lot of time as well. and then there's that bigger pick that bigger kind of conversation that we can start to have and everyone really needs to have is that yeah and the media around food is is crazy and it's setting up different perspectives of uh what food is and um and yeah i don't want to say what tv shows but we all know what shows are out there um and no one's they're not having they influence so many people so many people watch that and they just think that where's the conversation about 
recycling food where's the conversation about what yeah what you're doing you don't see and a food waste challenge on such shows yeah yeah and it's, there's people like you that are actually volunteering doing that kind of stuff and it's like well um it's only a matter of a time until that kind of stuff becomes norm mm-hmm. so i guess that experiential kind of thing in an urban farm is i my way I suppose of working towards um, getting people to see that there is another kind of choice to make with their food and where mm. it comes from yeah it's a it's 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 a hard one to square sometimes because I think maybe in the worlds that the three of us live in working mm. in the food industry in different sort of capacities we are surrounded by people who probably have a better than average understanding of, of food and, and growing mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that and who make more positive food choices and are mm-hmm. a little bit um, environmentally conscious with their food choices and, and, you know, know the difference between buying a nice tomato and buying a, a crap tomato mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, yet we still have such huge issues in our food system and and the scale like the scale of which is hard for us to sort of fathom it sort of almost doesn't make sense to me sometimes because i know so many people who are so interested in good food and supporting Mm. things like csa systems or uh shopping at farmers markets or Mm. you know having a having a plot in their backyard or being a part of a community garden that it's like what why why do we still live in this world and 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 the reality is, is that the majority of people out there are still concerned with price and convenience and they still go to a major supermarket to purchase their food um it's gonna be this is gonna be a really hard question right but like you're sort of on the ground doing this sort of like yeah that do, doing the grassroots work of education but like we face a massive challenge not just with what I, like some of the issues that i was talking about with um with supermarkets but with with farm farming in general and it's something that callum from green connect talked about when he came into the studio was the the human side of farming and the fact that we're not going to end up with enough farmers to 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 grow our food so like if you can um you know be like sort of see the future a little bit or, or or try to try to have a think about how you know the trajectory where do you think you know like your work in education and then the the failures of the current food system and 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 the almost impossible challenges that we face intersect at a place where sustainability and conscious food consumption is the norm is that do you think that that's a possibility is it possible for me to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> is that even a question? <laughs> is that a statement? It's, yeah, it might be a, a statement. One. But is there, like, I think... No, there, there, w- well, there, there, there has to be. If it, I guess um, if you look to see what's happening overseas, where um, the farm-to-plate kind of stuff kind of originated and, and a lot of um, regenerative kind of... Um, agricultural practices have been adopted from mm. there you know in america canada um cuba all over the place they've they actually do have thriving urban food growing i won't just say urban farming but people are growing food all over the place on rooftops and so forth and it's come um if you look at where that's come from and that's come from um a huge groundswell of demand from you know the people living there and also that lining up conveniently with um good government policy to promote and push um different ways of growing food and consuming food so in canada they you know in toronto they have a great um urban food policy that ensures that you know urban food can be grown on rooftops in australia why hasn't that happened here well um, we are a little bit slower sometimes, but our you know city structures and buildings just actually aren't designed to cope with um, rooftop farms. Mm. Yep. So that's that's number one. That's why I'm really excited about the project that I'm working with in Melbourne is because we're building the shopping centre from scratch all the way up, and most of the time our designing time has been spent. How the hell do we get this slab, you know, strong enough to hold a rooftop farm at a certain price and and yeah. so, forth. so I guess 
like any kind of movement, if you look at it in that sense, it's, yeah, what people want in terms of good food being heard loud enough and long enough until policy, which is always lagging, Mm. catches up to that kind of what people want. Mm. Um, In the meantime, um, you grow what you can on your balcony (laughs) and talk about food and get people excited about food and um, it's like for the consumer, you, you vote with your feet and your wallet. So you go to restaurants and cafes who try and embrace this type of food <coughs> and you shop at places that, that do the same. And if mm-hmm. that means you, know, you, you shop less at the big supermarkets and try and get your veg from someone else or, you know, who's using less packaging or is sourcing from, from better farms and paying farmers a better amount, that's one way to, to drive change. Yeah. Is, you know, mm. is, is that's the way consumers can, can push these things. Mm. Yeah, and... Yeah, food pricing in Australia is just kind of like the where everybody's told that you get a cheap deal. It's oh, like so cheap compared to, compared to the UK. Going out to a restaurant is, is a steal here from from like lower end to top end as well. Mm. And you look at the UK and they import a lot well, of their way, food. way too much of our food. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's that that, that cost. Australia shouldn't have to import any food, and we should be yeah. um, looking at our farmland and not not turning it into like our prime farming land should not be getting turned into yeah, housing yeah. estates and Southern Highlands we should sorry <laughs> Southern Highlands yeah happens all the time farmers are getting pushed further and further away so there will be a breaking land. point with to the point where the Sydney Basin and Southern Highlands there's all the great farming land's going to mm. be gone and everyone's going to be like well where why is food all of a sudden so expensive yeah. and it's going mean, to be because we're going to have to import stuff but there's, there's another point that i'll bring up briefly and i'll try <coughs> to bang on about it but if also if we grew the right things that are supposed to grow in this environment uh, things that did grow here for thousands of years we'd also have a lot less problems with uh with sustainability as well mm. yeah and native yeah exactly native stuff but um i mean there are a lot of people out there growing their own food and um i guess it's just not always makes its way to social media or or advertised um, totally so but i think like one of the cool like one of the cool things i mean whatever i said before whether it was a question a statement or just thinking out loud um i think it's easy to be pessimistic and Mm. and and like a dystopian future and and something that people might expect that sort of falls into line with other trends in the way we consume mm. would be more you know more intensive monoculture like and and an increase in you know like back to the future had that stupid thing where it was like a pizza a pizza hut pizza that you just put in the microwave and it turned into this giant pizza and 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 people not caring about f- food as much because it's just with increased efficiency and mm. and 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 better economics and, and and a cheaper price point, people are going to gravitate towards it. But mm. so it's easy to be pessimistic because we see, you know, and and you see cartoons of the way people are consuming when it comes to using their telephones or when it comes to buying things online or whatever it might be. But the reality is is that more people now, as compared to five years ago, as compared to probably you know in the nineties, are more engaged with with their food and more concerned about natural natural you know methods of growing food and and connecting with and connecting with their farmers. So it is there's definitely optimism to be had in yeah. the space yeah, and as well. Statistically, there's yeah, Australians are moving towards a more plant-based diet it's moving slowly but mm. it's actually yeah, well, the, the moving fast, and fastest rises in the world of, of people changing to plant-based i think yeah um, yeah to finish on like an upper and not so Tuesday. Mm. but again it's a choice for you and i to eat you know to eat certain food to put into our bodies that's our choice and if someone wants to do the f- you know, um, back to the future pizza. Then, yeah. <laughs> and it may end up being that that might actually be more environmentally sustainable. Well, <laughs> well who knows? Where the future go. That's a whole. You know, it's like that Soylent drink that people were trying to drink for a while. It's just yeah, like, like just lab, live lab, on a milkshake. Right? It's gonna be the future. Lab grown meat. That's yeah. it's really gonna change again. So, Down the track. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to go to one quick last break, and then I'm going to come back and ask you some very easy questions because I. Um, 
want some help growing my vegetables in my garden. Oh so I'm just going to ask you some growing tips at the end because I think that'll be a good way to finish and something nice and practical. All right, we're going to go to a song now by... Okay, we're back for the last little bit of food for thought here. Uh, before the break, you heard The Suburbs by Arcade Fire and we're talking with Simon Evans from Cabo Restaurant and Adrian Bayeta from My Square Meter. Adrian, I just want to self-indulgently ask you questions about how I should be growing my veggies. Firstly, uh, what is it? It's the beginning of June. If people want to plant now, what are they, what should they plant if they have, you know, your stock standard couple of little beds little, in the garden? Yep, stock standard. Simon's favourite, radish. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can never have too much radish, so much mate. radish being grown. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually grow quite a bit. Yeah, you can grow a, turnips, radish, swedes, leeks, spring onions, all your leafy greens, all the Asian greens. Mm-hmm. Broccoli, you can get in, cauliflowers, cabbages, some late season stuff, yeah. Cool. Broad beans, put your broad beans in now. Broad beans in now? Harvesting a little later. It depends, yeah, on frostings and stuff, where you are, but we've already got um, most of ours in down further south. Yep. Cool. So, yeah, and broad beans are cool because you can eat the tips as well as the pods. Yeah, lovely. All right, that's a good one. Um, Nice and easy. Now... I have tried over and over to grow coriander mm-hmm. and it goes to seed so quickly. Is, yeah. that, is that a common thing for coriander? How do you grow decent coriander? Can you help me? Can I call Don Burke? <laughs> Sorry, this is a very <laughs> Don Burke question. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's normally it, it, when things want to go to seed, they're bolting and it's normally because they're stressed and it normally means they're thirsty or it's really hot. But it's, yeah, really common with coriander perfect thing to be perfect herb to be growing right now right through through the winter but then when you come to summer um yeah you can just let it it, it's normally works out better for you my patch at home um that i'll say my wife looks after because um I don't want to do any gardening when I get home. <laughs> I guess Fair, I'm enough. Too tired. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't. I don't go into my radio studio when I get home either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've but got to cook myself dinner though, haven't I? So yeah. No choice. Poor bugger. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, it's that's come from um, coriander that's bolted. We just let it go. You can eat the flowers. You can still eat put the, um, eat the the leaves, but then you can put the stalks into stocks but then once it goes to flower and the seeds pop out just let it do its thing and let the seed just drift in the wind where it lands and you'll get really strong coriander plants popping up okay so but the main thing is keep it watered yeah a couple times a week okay good water finger dip if you soil finger test yeah the old finger test it's very basic cool just put your Big finger in the soil. <laughs> Put your finger in the soil. <laughs> and if it's not, if it's really dry, then water it, mate. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, um, last last self-indulgent question. I've, like, I just can't stop rocket growing in my veggie patch. Like, oh. it just continues, like, there must, this, I feel like the seeds and the whatever of the rocket it. is just I've, in. I've tried to help. Yeah, it's just it infiltrated my, like, every time, like, I guess now what I've got in is, you know, doing all right. Like I've got at the moment, I've got lettuce, snow peas, and kale, mm-hmm. um, and some and herbs. But the, I can see the rocket already coming up after after just like like planting those things relatively recently, and it's just going to come up and take over again. What do I do? Just pull it out. Just pull it out. It. Just and keep it, pulling and it out. Eat it. Yeah, I guess just <laughs> eat it. Pull it out. I it. People always ask, but what happens <laughs> if it grows and it starts touching? The other <laughs> plants. It's like edible. Just pick the damn thing and eat it. Give it All to right. Simon. Well, Give you. it to Simon. I've had quite a bit of his rocket before. <laughs> Steph's rocket has made a made an appearance on the menu a couple of times. Yeah. Well, but my rocket help. flowers because it just yeah. gets to. Well, I just want the fancy bit, so I leave you with the. Yeah, rest you just get the tiny little pick baby the leaves. Pick them with me. I'm like. assuming it's a small space. It's not huge, no. A couple. Well, yeah, a couple of square yeah. meters. Yeah. Yeah, I always tell people just. Yeah, pour, pour your favourite drink, beer, gin, go in the backyard and just pick out the little rocket plants that you don't want touching your lettuce. Yeah, Let okay. the other ones come up. Right, just pick them out. All right. If oh, not, just, just I guess I'm just being lazy. Just, I just, I'm just sick of you're stuck with it. having so much rocket in my garden Just all cover the time. them with mulch. Yeah, okay. And they'll compost in the spot and then you can plant something else in there within a couple of weeks. Cool. Yeah, mulch. Okay, yeah. Help the soil, help the earth, mate. You're doing it. Great. 
All right. Cool. Anything else you want to talk about, Simon? Do you have any more questions for Adrian or Adrian? Is there anything else that you wanted to get in before we finish up? No? Not really. No, I think we're good. Good? Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Let's get Adrian out of here. Um, Adrian from... My Square Meter, thank you so much for participating in another conversation on Food for Thought. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.